นโมทัสสะกวาทัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมบุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะกวาทัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมบุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะกวาทัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมบุทธัสสะพุทธังดมังสังขังนมัสสะMonastic community here, and just a day or so ago, finished two weeks of practicing and noble silence, which is for those of you that are not familiar with this practice, is more or less what it sounds like. It's it's a aspirational effort to. Cultivate that which is truly noble, truly worthy, um, by being silent and, and so not talking with each other. And it's also referred to as noble silence, in as much as it's not a strategy or a fixed position against talking. It's uh, just saying, well, let's turn the pressure up for the sake of. Cultivating for the sake of deepening, because we're interested in learning to see more clearly. Uh, we're not just rejecting talking as some sort of idealistic fixed position. And, and for any of you that have cultivated uh, this practice, will will know that it really does uh, work to turn up the pressure and. Bring about intensification. Yesterday and the day before, listening to the experience of some of the people in the community and the benefit that they found from this opportunity uh, is well. It's very inspiring, and it's um, and it's a reminder of how really important an appreciation. Of this aspect of the path of practice is uh, intensity, and, and we may be well trained in mindfulness, and we may happen to have a lot of confidence or trust or faith in possibility of awakening. Maybe skilled in steadying the mind, and developing tranquility, and. Beautiful states of peacefulness, and uh, have a superior capacity for discernment. We have all of these aspects of practice uh, well developed. But if the vector, if we can use that word, of intensity or the dynamic of intensity is not. Present, then what we're looking for is probably not going to happen. And, and I've often quoted the image, which I borrowed from the venerable Miyokioni, of the transformation of carbon dust into diamonds. And, and 
if carbon dust is the equivalent of uncultivated, undeveloped consciousness and diamonds is the equivalent of awakened consciousness, then this process of transformation needs to take place. And, and we can have truckloads, tons of carbon dust, and have a great understanding and all sorts of good intentions and aspirations and confidence and the possibility of, of transforming carbon dust into diamonds. But again, if that aspect of intensity is not there, then that transformation won't take place. And, and so it is with the need to appreciate the function of intensity in our spiritual practice. And so it might be that we're talking about the ability to generate intensity, uh, or maybe not. Uh, but at the very least, what we do need is an appreciation for how to tolerate intensity, because whether we like it or not, life will give us, sooner or later, the experience of intensity. Sooner or later, something is going to fall apart, break, not work out as we hoped. Maybe just like break a fingernail, that can be already painful enough, not to mention breaking your arm or having your heart broken, getting old, a relationship that's been broken, life sooner or later gives all of us this experience of intensity. And do we have the Skillfulness, do we have the ability to engage it so that it works to, again, as I was saying, help deepen us in our investigations, contribute to the process of purification? Again, the image the Buddha used of purifying gold and turning up the heat and the dross comes to the surface so you can scoop it off. And without the heat, without the pressure, the purification, the transformation simply doesn't take place. And so having this appreciation, being reminded, remembering that it has this function. And so whether it's something that we generate intentionally, like deciding together we're going to just stop talking for this period of time and see what happens, and very interesting. Or whether it's life presents us with an experience of intensity, are we ready for it? Have we prepared ourselves for it? Do we really appreciate it? If we don't appreciate it, we can just judge it. So it shouldn't be this way. Like getting sick. Say, oh, what a pity, getting sick has ruined my retreat. Well, that's one way of viewing it. But also the frustration, the disappointment that we're experiencing when we get sick, uh, that's a certain kind of intensity. And if we have the right perspective on that, we can embrace that. We can we can use that. That's usefulness. That's what this is. What renunciation is about. You know, renunciation is nothing to do with 
you know, morality, that's another dimension of practice. Renunciation is how to access energy. You know, we frustrate our habitual uh, impulses and discover energy that we can then steward, direct in this process of deepening, of purifying. If we forget this aspect of practice, and sometimes people do forget it, sometimes people are simply not aware of it. I, I think there are some people who have the view about the Buddha's teaching on the middle way as if the middle way is all beige, nothing in extreme. Moderation. Well, there's a point in, to that, but if we're committed to keeping life moderate, it could end up being very mediocre. And certainly, if we're still just reading about and thinking about and talking about the Buddha's teachings on the Middle Way, it can be very mediocre and very beige. But a life that is committed to making an effort to cultivate the disposition of the middle way is anything but that. It requires, it demands actually, a capacity to tolerate, engage intensity when that's what's happening. So this view is rather important and, and worth registering. And recently in the community here, uh, a week or so ago, we had the very inspiring um, visit of a dear friend who has been coming to our monasteries for well over 30 years now. And she's into her 80s, and uh, we knew the time would come eventually where uh, traveling, uh, catching a plane, traveling to Britain, traveling from the airport, that traveling just wasn't doable anymore. We knew the time would come, but we didn't know when and how. You know, kind of, quite frankly, something... That, didn't want to talk about, but we all knew it was going to happen sooner or later. And as it happened on this visit, uh, the point was reached where there's a recognition, this is the last visit. And after, as I say, over 30 years of being able to join with her friends in her precious monastery and evening chanting and meditation and the meals and contributing and sharing and Dhamma practice, a source of great nourishment and great joy, the recognition that it's coming to an end. Uh, the relationship's not coming to an end, but this expression of the relationship was coming to an end. And, and being able to reach that and then to tolerate the consequences uh, I must say, was was remarkable, really inspiring. And 
not easy, certainly not easy. At one stage, because we were on silent retreat, we weren't talking very much, but it was an occasional communication. And at one stage, she let me know that there alone in her room in Kusla House, she said she never cried so many tears in her whole life at the thought, once the decision had been made, that, that she wouldn't be coming back again. That's intense. That's... That's a lot of pain. And what she recognised very wisely was it wasn't just the pain of loss, of separation, which in varying degrees all of us are aware of, uh, separation from that which we value and the pain of that. There was that, but what she discovered was it was a trigger for a lot of old pain, a lot of old unlived pain, and not because she's particularly skilled in psychological theory or anything of that nature, but because she knew how to read her heart and mind. She recognised that this pain that she was actually being purged of, this sadness, this backlog of old, unlived sadness, with all the intensity that that brought, was way back, living through the... Nazi occupation of World War Two, many years of marriage, raising a large family and all the challenges that that brings and having to be strong, having to keep it together. This was the opportunity, actually, to put it all down. So yes, the trigger was this moment of loss, but there was all those other moments of loss and all that sadness, all those uncried tears just came pouring out. And because she was so well prepared, she was able to ride the wave of that intensity until she reached the point of beautiful, really beautiful contentment. Mm. Not indulging in it and getting lost in it and feeling sorry for herself. Not denying it and pretending that this is not sad, but the balanced perspective, and that is a better way of talking about the middle way, a balanced perspective on life, and it has to include the capacity for tolerating intensity. And it wasn't just, again, a passing moment, because I've spoken with her since she arrived home, and... She said, it's just very peaceful. Just, there's no struggle. There's just ease. And, and in fact, she spoke about it as like coming home. Yes, the trigger and what happened as a consequence was very challenging. But she had that well-developed capacity for tolerating intensity, which means she was able to ride it, to ride that wave of intensity, talking about the middle way as if it's moderation and everything. It's like you know, it's like telling a a snowboarder who's just skimmed down a slope in the French Alps at eighty or ninety miles an hour, or ninety four point four if you're a world champion, <laughs> um, 
You say, what's the big deal? You're just standing on a piece of board. What's the big deal? Or a a surfboarder skimming down a wave at whatever speed they go. What's the big deal? You're just standing on a piece of board. Well, have you ever tried surfing? I mean, even paddling to catch the wave is one thing, and then being able to stand up and hold your balance, not too far forward, not too far back, not to the right, not to the left, to hold your balance, to handle that intensity and to ride it, that takes uh, tremendous skill. And it's a good metaphor for the skill of cultivating the spiritual life. The intensity of this untrained, unruly human heart challenges us on all sorts of levels in all sorts of ways, often in situations when we really were not expecting it. So this contemplation, this consideration is hopefully an encouragement to prepare ourselves. Don't Let's not think of the middle way as... Uh, everything in moderation. It's better to think of the middle way as a perspective, as a disposition towards balance. Maybe it's not sadness, maybe it's rage. That happens, particularly in the beginning of practice. People have some initial lovely experiences in meditation. They learn some meditation technique, uh, disciplining attention and dwelling on thoughts of loving kindness or concentrating on the breath, uh, whatever, and mind drops into a unified state and you get a little tranquility, a little peace and a deep sense of ease and comfort. And that's the initial uh, experience. But then what happens is once you stop the compulsive controlling and uh, some, dissolve some of the atma, all that denied life, all that stuff we didn't want to know about and we hope nobody else would notice, shows up. And, and yes, it can be unreasonable sadness or unreasonable Hatred, rage. And sometimes, interestingly, those, those two go together and need to be ready, to need to be agile enough in our attention to keep reading, to see. You think you're dealing with a lot of anger and you're patiently enduring it, burning through it, allowing it, coming into a conscious relationship with it and the whole body mind and until it starts to shift and and then you discover that what was behind it was a huge amount of denied grief. Well that's interesting. I thought I had a problem with anger and actually it's sadness. And we gotta ride that one. And the ability to once again the ability to ride the intensity thinking too much about these things and you encounter such intense experiences of sadness or anger, you think, I've got a problem. <laughs> yeah, I've really got a problem here. I mean, 
go to see somebody to get myself sorted out. Well, it's true, sometimes you, sometimes we do need help to get a handle on these things, but also patient endurance and agility are tremendously important. And start to cultivate this path and, and encounter the intensity of unlived life, denied life. Many of you be familiar with having read the records of some of the great teachers and who have heard of their encounters with intensity, whether it's sadness or uh, hatred or fear, you know, unreasonable amounts of fear, irrational fear, utterly unpredictable intensity of fear and anxiety. So where did that come from? And sometimes you encounter these things and it's just like looking for an object. You're just afraid of everything just, or angry at everything or sad about everything. And, and if we're not prepared for this opening, this dynamic of letting go, and most of us are probably not that well prepared, then we can... If we're not careful, we can misread it. We can, we can add to it, trying to control it, judging it, trying to understand it. Understanding is likely to happen when some of the pressure has been released. And, and as with that experience of the guest I mentioned recently, and gradually understanding emerge. Oh, that's what this is all about. And then there's a lessening, a lessening and an increased confidence and an increased willingness, increased ability, become interested in, in enduring through the utter unreasonableness of our practice sometimes, the apparently unreasonableness of life. And I say apparently because it's not actually unreasonable. There are causes. If we deny life long enough, then it will get twisted in the darkness of unawareness. We push anger down into unawareness and it can get very distorted and very excessive. And We can't stop indulging, well we feel like we can't stop indulging in, in it. Or, or again, fear, push that down. We get taught early on in life that we're not supposed to be afraid we're supposed to have it together, we're supposed to be successful, and of course we feel we need to please our parents, and so we pretend, and we don't just lie to them, we end up lying to ourselves until it becomes so habitual that we don't even know that we're chronically afraid, or chronically resentful, or chronically sad, until we start meditating and loosening up a little bit, and then these upthrusts of utterly unreasonable intensity can be very convincing. The stuff of nightmares. And so, once again, if we can prepare ourselves for this so that if we encounter such experiences of unlived life, then we have a willingness to endure it. We don't misperceive it, misjudge it, 
we don't miss it. We don't miss the opportunity. A lot of strength, a lot of understanding, a lot of purification can come from such intensification. I mean, this is why you find, you, know, you listen to the teachings of some of the great masters of the past and how they put themselves under all sorts of austerities for this reason. Intentional frustration to see what happens, what comes to the surface when I'm not getting what I want and then the energy manifests and that's creative energy. We don't have to define it as bad. It may be manifesting a very crude, unpleasant, unwelcome form, you know, like hatred. But that hatred, that rage, once we've endured it long enough, maybe it just manifests as dislike. Disliking is normal. Aversion is normal. If you see somebody being abusive, of course we don't like that. Of course we feel averse towards a bully or somebody offensively arrogant and dismissive. And Of course that's unattractive and disliking arises. Aversion for that arises. It's only when we deny that or we indulge in it when we lose a balanced perspective, that we fall into, we fall into the state. We can indulge it and become violent, abusive, aggressive ourselves, or we can deny it, and then, as I was saying, we can, this normal, understandable sense of dislike or aversion can, can turn into something really toxic, and can turn into hatred or even rage. Become, it's a form of self-harming, actually, indulging in, in these moods. It's a form of self-harming. It's not the same as physically cutting our bodies, but it is hurting ourselves inwardly. And so once we've endured through enough intensity of unlived life, if that's what we need to do, then maybe we'll come across a direct experience of normal, understandable dislike. Liking and disliking are just normal movements of the mind. We don't have to follow them. We can accord with them. If they're appropriate, we can follow them. If they're inappropriate, then we just park them, let them wear themselves out. And, And that gives us then a whole different relationship to practice. So in the beginning we need to be prepared for encountering unreasonableness. It doesn't mean to say something's going wrong. It does mean that we need to exercise modesty and patience and gentleness, infinite patience, infinite gentleness. Otherwise we can make things worse. We're so controlling, so willful, in our culture anyway, that most of us, the majority of us, if not all of us, are going to have to deal with such aspects. But if it manifests in the way I'm suggesting as intensity, then let's not misperceive it. Let's learn how to ride that so that it serves our deepening of practice, serves the purification. And then, yes, hopefully we 
eventually reach a place where we can read more clearly. Oh, this is what's going on. And then some really tricky states of mind become more workable. Like boredom. Yeah, boredom's not the same as rage, intense rage or hatred. But boredom can be really painful. Or loneliness. Loneliness for a lot of people is a source of great suffering. How do you work with boredom and loneliness? Well, enduring it, but if it doesn't stop, I mean, it's still boring and lonely. Well, if we've endured through what we have to endure through to be able to just tolerate a normal level of dislike, we can just admit it. I don't like not having anything interesting happening, sitting, feeling there. There's nothing interesting happening. This is boring. A lot of life is very boring, especially as you start to get older. And likewise, loneliness. You're not fun anymore. Nobody wants to keep you company anymore. So you end up being on your own. So as you get older, life is boring and lonely. And, but if we know how to read and be honest with ourselves, if we've learned to stop telling lies to ourselves, and we just, I don't like this. Disliking is like this. We can accord, we can allow ourselves to dislike. Liking and disliking are movements of the heart, movements of the mind. But if we're still committed to denying these, if we've still got a big backlog of unlived pain, then we don't have that facility for really reading the more subtle dynamics of the heart and mind. We don't know how to read dislike. We don't see that actually we're creating a problem by indulging and disliking. As I said, it's a form of self-harming. We don't have to become disliking. See, it's all right to dislike something. We don't have to indulge in it. We don't have to deny it. If, that is, we have some sense of what the Buddha was talking about by the middle way, that point of balanced perspective. Disliking is like this. Liking is like this. Loneliness. Of course it's dislikable. But do we have to become it? Do we have to follow it? Do we have to indulge in it? Do we have to deny it? Or can we just say, all right, this is, this is disagreeable. But awareness itself and disagreeability are not the same thing. You use the metaphor of awareness as the space. Liking and disliking is the stuff that comes and goes through the space. We don't have to follow all that stuff, all the content of our hearts and minds, all the sights, sounds, smells, tastes, touches and mental impressions, like specks of dust floating through open space. We don't have to follow it. We have the possibility of studying it, studying our relationship to it, seeing that we're the ones that are responsible for following and indulging, or denying, and lying. There's also the possibility of making the effort to accord with the middle way, which is just knowing it's like this. 
Sleeplessness, that's another one for a lot of people. The pain of sleeplessness, it requires a great subtlety of attention to see where we're feeding the struggle by indulging and disliking. Sleeplessness is particularly tricky because we're, when we're trying to doze off and fall into a nice restful state, well, you know, we're not particularly interested in pristine awareness. We actually want to disappear and there's an increased likelihood that we're going to fall into old habits of indulging or denying. And so it helps with all of these things, with its subtle mind states of boredom, loneliness, or really difficult, challenging, tricky mind states like sleeplessness or wild, coarse states like rage and heartbreaking grief and anxiety. It really helps if we commit to a willingness to learn or a determination to learn from all of it. That's why we talk about I am a servant of the Buddha, I am a servant of the Dhamma, I am a servant of the Sangha. You could also say I am a student of the Buddha, a savaka, a disciple. A disciple is not just busy making tea for the master. A disciple is studying the master, and all of us are disciples of the Buddha. We're studying the Buddha, studying the Dhamma, studying the Sangha. So whatever's happening, intense or subtle to view it as this is something to learn from I can learn from this I encourage people to begin every day absolutely every day without exception and if you forget we'll then begin again begin every day with the determination whatever happens today I'm going to learn from it everything that happens today I'm going to make the effort to learn from it and see what difference that makes see how that helps us in our relationship to not just fall for the old tendencies to indulge in one extreme and deny. Uh, See how it contributes to the cultivation of the disposition of a balanced perspective. So whether it's in formal practice or daily life practice, sometimes... People find great difficulties in their formal practice and likewise if we frame it as this is something to learn from. We don't, if we struggle with I've got to overcome this defilement, I've got to overcome this obstruction, you know, we can compound it and fall into habits of indulging and denying. But if we approach it with the attitude of I can learn from this, I, I want to learn from this. Or daily life practice, another tricky suffering that people sometimes struggle with is referred to as earworms. You know, you you hear a tune. You hear a tune that just keeps going over and over. I looked this up recently. 
to see if there'd been research done on it. It turned out there was somebody in Durham University did some research on how to deal with earworms. And, well, none of the advice that was given referred to the fact that indulging and disliking really is what this thing is feeding on. If we learn to reach the point where we're able to read liking and disliking as they arise in our hearts and minds and, and realise that we have the opportunity whether we have to follow them or not follow them, indulge or deny them, if we reach that point, then you can see for yourself. I can remember there's a particular tune that even now if I think about it too much, I probably can make myself feel a little sick. Played at Christmas. Why do I feel so bad? I've got no idea. Well, I could imagine something perhaps happened at some stage in my life when by condition to detest that tune, but we have the potential for being able to listen to that tune that we think is to blame for our suffering and feel what we feel, even if it's even if it's feeling a little bit sick. Feeling sick is not ultimate. Now, of course, Having said that, we can feel very, very sick, and then that's very, very challenging. And so let's not be too idealistic about these things. But that's what this contemplation is for, to help prepare us developing the skill, developing the ability, so that when these frustrating, disappointing, irritating conditions arise, let's not mistake them for being a problem. They aren't the problem. The problem is when we lose confidence in the possibility of the middle way and fall into denying and indulging, indulging and denying, following liking and following disliking. There's some space in which that feeling is arising and ceasing. We can, we can make that suggestion to the mind. And if we cultivate that, then when life offers us an experience of intensity, then hopefully we'll be well prepared to meet it, to really meet it, to engage it, to not miss the opportunity. Thank you very much this evening for your attention. Say